0: Thank you, Steve. He had told me, when you get back, I'm going to sing your favorite songs. And they just did, and I enjoy those so much. Thank you. Well, I I confess to you that I am technologically challenged. I'm amazed by it, but I really don't understand it. In fact, this little cell phone is amazing to me. Now, I got my first cell phone about 27 years ago, and it was about the size of this pulpit. (laughs) It really wasn't quite that big, but it was big. In fact, they mounted it in the trunk of my car, and they ran a wire through the headliner up to the phone. And all you could do with it, of course, was to talk on the phone, which was pretty cool at that time. Now then, they have this one you can get. Football scores on it, the stock market report on it. Uh, you can get YouTube videos on it. Um, our young people text each other while I'm preaching. <laughs> we used to have to write notes, but they text. It's amazing what this thing can do. And then there is this little thing, which is a GPS. Did you know that I can type in an address on this, and it takes me to uh, that destination? I mean, it just guides you there and takes you. The way it used to work is that Linda and I would be going on a trip, and so I would get a map out before we left, and I would draw the little line, this is where we're going, and she's supposed to be my navigator as we go along. And as we go along, she said, you missed the turn. And... uh, I said, I, I, I missed the turn. I went, How did I miss the turn? She said, you were supposed to turn back there. I said, well, I, I didn't know I was supposed to turn back there. Well, I told you. Well, I didn't hear you. That's because you never listen. And then it goes on and on like that. And, and uh, so we go around and she's telling me that I don't listen. And she's never, not the little lady in my GPS. <laughs> if I miss a turn or I'm going the wrong direction, she just says, Recalculating. I really like her a lot. <laughs> but, but it is amazing to me. that they, In fact, I was watching a, a commercial on television the other day, and they have cars now, and if you fall asleep, they wake you up. And if you're about to run into something, they automatically break for you. It is amazing what they... I don't even understand broadcasting, even though I used to work in broadcasting. I never understood it. I don't understand how you can put a camera out here... People sit at home and watch it on. I don't know how they do that. But not only are, are the people in Columbia able to see us as we worship here, but we also stream live around the world. And while we are here worshiping the Lord, my son-in-law in Boise, Idaho, sometimes watches and worships with us. And then his mother in Oklahoma City, she also... Dro- I don't know how that stuff works. But it's pretty amazing. Now, now here's my question, though, as I was thinking about some of these things. How can we know so much, be so advanced technologically, and yet so inept when it comes to the family? I mean, we know so much about technology, and yet the foundation of our society is the family and we seem to know so little about it. And there is great disappointment on the part of many people when they get married. I'm not much of a counselor. In fact, very few come to me uh, when they're going to get married. Because I tell them, I said, look, you can go over here and they can spend two weeks talking to you. Or I can tell you in five minutes everything I know. And uh, one of the things that I always tell the young people when they're getting married is um, set a low bar. Now the reason for that, the reason for that is that you are expected to improve. Now, if you set the bar too high when you get married, then you're going to be a disappointment later. But if you set it real low and then raise it just a little bit every year, then they think you're making improvement. So some of the best advice I give is set a low bar. Well, at any rate, I you might. You might think, I'm, I don't care anything about him preaching about the family today. He doesn't know anything about it. But I'm going to try. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many." Today I do want us to look at the family as we continue our series in the Old Testament. And, and we'll begin with husbands and wives because that is the foundational relationship within the family. Now I am deliberately not focusing attention on the romantic side of it today because you can get that somewhere else. You can get it in People Magazine or uh, in National Enquirer or some of those places. they got a lot of that stuff in there. So I'm not focusing on that. Marriage is a partnership. It's not a 50-50 arrangement. Now, I know that there are many people who go into marriage thinking that it is a 50-50. It is not. It is a partnership, and sometimes, and most of the time, you end up with 10% of the ownership. We are partners when we get married. And we are partners in parenting. Whenever children come in, ladies and gentlemen, you must see yourself as partners in parenting. That means then that you are to support each other. You, you know the, uh, uh, the strategy of, of kids, and it is to divide and conquer. So you have to support each other. The Bible says in Proverbs one eight: Hear, my son, your father's instruction... And do not forsake your mother's teaching. But do you see the partnership there? Both the husband and the wife, both the mother and the father have responsibility so you are to support each other as partners. And you are to be in agreement. I remember in psychology that my teacher, Dr. Jeske, said it is more important that you are in agreement than that you are right. But you have to understand it is a partnership. When you have children, there is a partnership with the mother and the father concerning their parenting responsibility. We are partners when it comes to family finances. Uh I have told Linda a long time ago, I said, Linda, we are in the same boat financially. Now, we both can row it, or either one of us can sink it, but we're in the same boat. Now, I know a lot of people, they are always very concerned about the spending of their mate, you know. Husbands, oftentimes, we are the ones very concerned about the spending. I don't worry about it. I told Linda, I said, you know, if you want to sink this sucker, then sink it. But, (laughs) But you're in it too. You know, we are in the same boat because we are partners. So we are partners in parenting. We are partners in finances. And we also are to be spiritual partners. Now what that means then is that both the husband and the wife is saved. They both know Jesus. In fact, the Scripture says in Second Corinthians 6, Do not be bound together with unbelievers... "...for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness?" Now, you see, it is important when two people are married that both of them are saved, because that is the foundation. And it is important that you are building your marriage, your life, your family on the same foundation. Both of you should be committed to God. So. Whenever two people are married, they both should be saved and they should be committed to God. Now, if both are not committed to the Lord, then there is going to be conflict in the husband-wife relationship, and you are going to send mixed signals to the children because one parent is saying this is important, and the other parent, by their actions, is saying that it is not important. Marriage is a partnership. Marriage is a commitment When two people get married, the vow includes till death do us part or as long as we both shall live. But that speaks of a commitment. And that commitment is expressed through faithfulness. The Bible says in Proverbs 6.32, the the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. So, Because we are committed to each other, husbands and wives committed to each other, you are to be faithful to each other. And the Bible says that if you are not, it is because you are lacking sense. We are to be respectful of each other because of that commitment. Wives, you are to respect your husband. In fact, the Scripture says in Ephesians 5.33, Let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Did you know That respect is more important to a man than romance. I know some of you ladies will say, well, I knew it wasn't romance. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't romance. Respect is very important, but men, we also are to be respectful of our wives. The Scripture says in 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands... Likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So here's what Peter says to us as husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, which means that that you hear what they say and know what they mean. I know that that is a challenge, but that's what that means. In other words, you have to listen to them. How many times is your wife said, you don't listen? Listen to them. And he said, granting her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Understanding that if she is a Christian, that she also is a child of God, so that it does not hinder your prayers. Men, one of the reasons that our prayers are not more effective sometimes is because we don't have the right relationship with our spouse, with our wife. He says it hinders our prayer. Marriage is a commitment of love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. I've I've been literally asked the question before, do you think it's possible to love your wife too much? The answer is no. If you love your wife more than Jesus loved the church who died for the church, then I suppose so. But unless you do that, no. You are to love her as Jesus loved the church. I I think the marriage relationship should be fun. I was going into Jerry's office the other day, and I came by his secretary's desk, and Tara was sitting there, a little bitty Tara. She's about that tall. She was sitting there. And she had some brownies on the desk. And I said, Tara, did you make those brownies? She offered me one. I said, did you make those brownies? She said, no, I don't cook good. I said, well, what do you do good? And she said, dance. And I sat down and I said, you know, in marriage that is profound. Now, I know you guys are going to deny this because uh, it, it doesn't sound, I mean, it makes us seem shallow. But the fact of the matter is, I can stop at Subway and get something to eat. I can hire somebody to clean the house. But when I get home, I want somebody to dance. (laughs) And Linda's a good dancer. I, I... I mean, that's, that's truth. In fact, I have, a, I have a friend, and her son married this girl. She's very pretty. He married this girl, and the mother didn't particularly care for her. And uh, so they were talking one day, and the son said, She makes me laugh. I think that that's one of the best things you can say about a woman. She makes me laugh. See, I think that marriage should be fun. So let me go on real quick because you're running out of time. Husbands and wives, it's a partnership and it's a commitment. So now then, let's look for a few minutes at the relationship between the parents and the children. Lord Rochester said, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. (laughs) Well, many of you can certainly identify with that. But what should the child be able to expect from the parent? Well, first of all, instruction. In verse number 11, he said, I have, now this is a father speaking to his children, I have directed you in the ways of wisdom. So, a child ought to be able to expect instruction from the parent. And ladies and gentlemen, your children are being instructed. Much of it is negative instruction because it comes from the world. Our our children are being instructed by the music they listen to. Some of it is violent. It is vile. It is disrespectful. I would challenge you parents to sit down with your children and listen to the music they're listening to. Because you need to know what the lyrics are. Some of the video games they play are violent and they desensitize the child. And I say, well, you might say, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, you know, it's just a game. They know that it's a game. Let me tell you something. When they are little, their character is being formed. And it is being damaged by some of these video games because they're getting negative instruction. The world tells our children that, that sex outside marriage is normal... So go on with intercourse, but protect yourself from sexually transmitted disease. That's what the world is teaching your children. It is a negative instruction that the world is giving, and we are allowing them to instruct our children. Parents, we are to instruct our children, but sometimes we too instruct them negatively, even though we don't intend to do so. How do we do that? As a parent, as I instruct my children... How do I instruct them negatively? When I smother them with too much instruction. That's one way. One mother said to her daughter, As long as I have but one life to live, I'm going to live yours. <laughs> and there are a lot of parents think that's what they are to do. We smother our children by giving them too much instruction, and when we do, we provoke them. The Scripture says in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. The word exasperate means to make bitter. Fathers, don't make your children bitter. How do we do that? When we forget that things change. Folks, things change. They just do. They are not like they were when I was a child. They're not like they were when many of you were children. Things change. And you have to understand that because if you do not, then you will exasperate your child. When we forget that things change whenever we are too strict. Here's my theory about it. When a child is very young, very young, then you are very strict. When the child gets to be 11, 12 years old, then you begin to loosen up because they are making the transition into adulthood. And they need to learn how to make decisions and suffer the consequences for their decisions. We, however, have done the reverse and we are very lenient when they're young, when they're children, because they're cute. But when they get up to the age that they need to begin to transition into adulthood, we begin to be strict on them because now they embarrass us. We exasperate them when we are too strict or when we fail to encourage them. Martin Luther said, Spare the rod and spoil the child, but beside the rod keep an apple to give him when he has done well. We exasperate our children when we ignore their individuality. I don't care how many children you have, they are all different. Now look at the kids of Adam and Eve. They had a couple of boys, Cain and Abel. One was a murderer, one was a missionary. So they were not the same. Look at Jacob and Esau. They were very different even though they were brothers. Stephanie and Eric were very different from each other. Their, their personality was very different. I, I simply say that to say you have to recognize, understand your children are not the same. So don't expect them to do things the same way because they are different. We should instruct them positively, but how do we do that? Well, established parameters, I think that rather than getting into the minutiae so much that we should establish parameters that allow them to grow. I think I've told you this, but it was such a visual lesson for me once. I was in Atlanta at the airport, and I was sitting there waiting for my plane, and I was watching a little child, about two years old, running around there, and they got up to the window, you know those windows there, you look out over the tarmac, and it was standing up there on the ledge looking at the planes out there. I thought, well, you know, if that glass were not there, they wouldn't get nearly as close. We establish parameters which give safety to the child, and they can move within this up to this point. So that allows them to to, to grow, that allows them to explore, but establish parameters, not so many specifics. And be consistent in your direction of them. If you tell the child there are consequences to their behavior, then you should follow through every time. What should the child be able to expect? Instruction. Spiritual models. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, "A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him." Our children need models of of spirituality. That's one of the reasons I'm so proud of our staff. I, you know, for Trip and Philip and Wes and Eric and who work with our students. They they do a great job of providing spiritual models for our children. But parents we're to do the same thing. We are to provide spiritual models for our children. By by your example you should teach them the importance of reading the Bible. By your example you should teach them the importance of prayer. And I would I, as I thought through this I was thinking, you know, why don't you Why don't you get your kids ready about two minutes early for school? And before they leave, you get those kids around and pray for them. God, be with them today. Give them a good day. Help them to learn. Help them to have a great time. But just pray for them. Because whenever you do that, you're saying to them that, that prayer is important and that you're trusting them to the Lord. So give them a model of prayer. Give them a model concerning church attendance. By your, by your faithfulness in church attendance, you are saying to that child that it is important that you join corporately with the people of God in worship. It says to them that you believe this to be important. Model integrity for them. Tim Tebow said the examples a dad sets for his sons don't always come from his mouth but from what they do i learned from just watching my dad parents your children are watching you and they are what you what they see you do has far more weight than what they hear you say And when you take them to a movie and lie about their age to get a cheaper ticket, what are you teaching them? Whenever the phone rings at home and you tell your child, tell them I'm not here, well then, what are you teaching them? So we are to teach our children. What can they expect from us? Instruction, a model, and discipline. Dr. Kevin Lehman, a Christian psychologist and author, says there are two types of discipline One is authoritative, the other is authoritarian, and he says that the authoritarian discipline is not the best. That is the discipline in which the parents make the decision for the child. And as a result, the parents become overly protective of the child. See, we are so fearful for the child that we do not allow them to grow and to mature, we make the decisions for them because we want to protect them. And what happens is that we end up in being controlled and they do not develop as they should. Layman says the authoritative discipline is better. It is discipline with action. He says when there is bad behavior, if there is discipline, he says that the punishment should fit the crime. So don't overreact. The punishment should fit the crime. Communicate, he says, in this kind of discipline at the child's level. You know what's a mystery to me? I have watched so many times a parent not listening to their 15-year-old who is trying to make a case about something. I want to do this or I want to do that. And the parent just shuts them off. Won't listen to them. Won't hear them out. But then that same parent goes over and tries to reason with the two-year-old brother. I'm going to reason with a two-year-old, but I'm not going to listen to a 15-year-old. You're not going to have communication that way. Folks, you reason with the 15-year-old, not the two-year-old. Communication. Get to know each other. Some, um, Some time ago, I was thinking about my dad who died when I was 20. And there's so much I don't know about him. I wish I did. I mean, I really wish I... I mean, there's some things that I know, but there was a lot of things I don't know. I don't know his, what his fears were. I don't know so much about his aspirations. I don't know those things, the struggles that he... I don't know. So I decided that I wanted my children to know me. I want them to know who I am. Not, not just dad not just pastor of a church, those kinds of things. They already know that. You all know that. I wanted them to know about me. And so periodically I will write them a letter, and I just tell them about you know, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, whatever it happens to be. Because when I'm dead and gone, I want them to know who I was. See, I think that it's important that we know each other as parents and as children, that we know each other as people. Now, what should the parent be able to expect from the child? Obedience. Look at verse number 13. Take hold of instruction and do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, why is obedience so important? Because of the benefits. Look over at chapter 6 verse number 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. Do you see the benefit that is there? He says, when the child is obedient, a godly parent guides them to godliness and guards them from evil. That's what parents are to do. We are to guide our children into godliness and guard them from evil. The family is precious. It is foundational to society. And oftentimes we focus all of our attention elsewhere. Ladies and gentlemen, you will do nothing greater than to build a godly family. And parents, may I say, that it should start with you. It should start with you. And men, may I say, that you should lead the way. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation as your Holy Spirit examines our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we might see some areas where, perhaps unintentionally, We are not providing the models, the instruction, the example that we should. Lord, I would especially pray for those who are here and have never trusted Christ as Savior. And therefore, they have no foundation on which to build. I pray, Lord, that they would commit their lives to you. Bless this time we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation. The choir will sing opportunity for you to respond if you're without jesus let me encourage you today to trust him if you're looking for a church home who will partner with you we'd love to be that church stand with me please as we stand you come i'll greet you as you do